Well, Merry Christmas. We're honored that you would come and spend part of your Christmas Eve with us. And my hope is that this will become part of your Christmas tradition as the years move forward. Well, Christmas is full of traditions. And finding the right tree is one of those. Now, Christmas is a big deal in my house. My wife decks out the house. It is very important to her. And it's very important that she finds the perfect Christmas tree. And we have the same tradition that we've had every year. We go to Home Depot to find a tree. And I probably hold up 50 trees until she finally picks the first one that I held up to begin with. Because we love our Christmas trees. I was actually in Bethlehem three weeks ago. I was with a group here from the crossing, and we stood in the actual field where the angels made the announcements to the shepherds that a baby had been born. When he went into one of the caves that was nearby, it was a cave where the shepherds would have taken shelter, and we sang Christmas hymns inside there, Christmas carols. It was just an amazing experience, and we were in Manger Square the day that they lit the tree there in Bethlehem, one of the most famous trees in the world. I took this just a few hours before it was lit because we love these traditions, and especially the tree. I thought I'd show you this other picture of a guy who took his tree pretty seriously. This is an actual picture taken a few weeks ago, and he was pulled over because some police officer thought this might be a hazard. I, I don't know why. Well, your tree's probably not this big, but you probably have your own Christmas tree. The tradition of the Christmas tree started in Germany about 500 years ago, and originally it was called the Christ tree. And they used the evergreen to represent the tree of life, and they would decorate the tree with apples. And so over time, Germans started putting these trees inside their house. And on December 24th, as a family, they would decorate it with apples. And eventually they got tired of having rotten fruit on their tree. And so they replaced it with wooden apples. And over time, those became plastic apples. And eventually, those became our red glass bulbs that we put on our tree. So if you have any red glass bulbs on your tree, that originally meant that you were celebrating access to the tree of life through Christ. And other decorations came along as well. They started adding candles that represented the light of Christ. And I don't know about you, but that seems pretty dangerous to me, to have candles on a dead evergreen tree in your house. They put communion wafers on the tree as well. They would string them together, and then they would put them around the tree. And over time, the communion wafers became popcorn strands, and popcorn strands became beaded strands. Eventually, they replaced the candles with lights, which was probably a good idea, and they put a star on top. And my point is this, is each of those things started out with a rich, significant meaning, and over time, it just became another passing decor of Christmas. Now, I'm not concerned about Christmas decorations. I'm not going to put apples on my tree, and I'm not going to put candles on my tree. That's not my concern. My concern is that we don't lose the significance of this moment and replace it with a cheap imitation. My concern is that we don't lose the significance of the greatest birth of all time and replace it with decorations and presents and just another day off of work. I think that was the Apostle John's concern as well. 
We have four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My brother had a family where they had four boys, and they named their four boys Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Bill. (laughs) They must have not liked John, I don't know, but Matthew and Luke give us details of the birth of Jesus, but the Apostle John gives us the significance of the birth of Jesus. Although John doesn't tell us what happened, he tells us why it happened. When Jesus was dying on the cross, Jesus spoke to his mother, Mary, and he says, I want you to take John as your son. And then he spoke to John, his best friend. He says, I want you to take my mom as your mother. And tradition tells us that after the resurrection, John took care of Mary for the rest of her life. Some believe that they moved to Ephesus where they lived, and John would take care of her into her old age. But if there is anyone that heard the birth narrative, It was John. And he probably got to ask all the questions that we would love to ask. Like, what happened with Joseph when you told him? What did your mama say? You know, he got to ask all of the questions that we wonder about. Yet when John begins his gospel, he doesn't begin it with Bethlehem and angels and shepherds and wise men. He begins it with why Jesus came. Instead of the birth narrative, He gives us God's narrative. Here's what John says. He says, the word, and this is talking about Jesus. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That he wants us to know the theology of Christmas. That God made an appearance. And John is saying, let me tell you the behind the scenes version of the Christmas story. That God showed up in a body. God showed up as a human being. And he made his dwelling among us. I love the way the message translation puts this. The message translation says it this way. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That Jesus moved into your neighborhood. And John tells us that the story of Jesus doesn't begin at Christmas. The story of Jesus actually begins at creation. Here's how he starts his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. And his very first words allude to the very first words of the Bible in Genesis where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This Greek word that is translated as word for us, that's a reference to Jesus. It's the Greek word logos. It's where we get our word logo. That a logo is a representation of your favorite team or a company. Well, Jesus is the exact representation of God. And John makes this incredible claim about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus has always been. And the Word was with God. Jesus was there in the beginning. And the Word was God. That He was fully human but he was fully God. He goes on and he says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That the life of Jesus brings light to all mankind. It brings light into your life right now. 
and maybe you feel like you're just in darkness, it says that the darkness has not overcome the true light. Well, he says this. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That you are the everyone that he was talking about. Here's what John wants us to understand. John wants us to understand is that Jesus came to bring light into your life. That Jesus came to bring light into your dating relationship. And to bring light into your marriage. To bring light into your brokenness. And to bring light into your grief. That this is the light that changed everything for us. He goes on and John says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. God gives the greatest gift of all time, and it's a gift that's rejected. It is returned. It's not wanted. Do you have someone in your life who does not know how to buy the right gift? You tell your husband the exact shoes you want, the brand, the size, the color, and he decides to think outside of the shoebox and decides to get you a Nutrisystem instead? <laughs> or you see that box under the tree and it is the perfect size of the iPhone 10, but then you open it up and it's a pair of socks, not quite what you wanted? When my son Josiah was a kid, he had a hard time faking disappointment. He would unwrap his Christmas presents and he would go, oh, well, this isn't really what I wanted. So one Christmas morning, I just had a little talk with him. I said, Josiah, would you just act happy? When you open up your presents, just act happy. We can return them tomorrow, but today, just act happy. Well, Darla had got our girls' headbands and she wrapped them up, but then she got a couple of the tags mixed up. And so Josiah opens up this present that had the headband in it. And he goes, thank you so much. What is it? See, all of us receive gifts that we don't really want. In fact, you will probably return at least one of your gifts this next week, or you'll re-gift it. You'll take that gift card that you don't really want, and you'll give it to your uncle so you don't have to spend any money on it. Well, the gift that was given by God was not what the people wanted. They wanted to return the gift. John says that his own people did not receive him. But look what John says. He says, but to all, and that would be you and me. John is speaking to you and me right here. To all who did receive him. And then John does something that had never been done before. He takes two Greek words and he puts them together and he creates a new phrase. I mean, we do this. We do this with words like gigantic and enormous and we put them together and now we just say ginormous. Well, John takes these two Greek words that had never been put together before, the Greek word for believe or faith, and then he takes the preposition in and he puts them together. This had never been done before in Greek literature. And he says to those who, and here's the word that he created, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, this isn't just a story. This is personal. This is, this is the why of Christmas. Here it is. 
It's so that you could become a child of God. And John doesn't want us to miss it. This is how he starts his gospel. But let me show you how he ends his gospel. He ends it like this. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of Christmas, the why behind the what, was so that you could have a personal relationship with God. You could have a personal relationship with a God that seems so unknowable to you. This is where we get the idea of a personal Savior. See, it's true that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but John wants us to know is that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus came for you. That is why Jesus came at Christmas. It reminds me of the quote by Ricky Bobby. Now, this may be the first and the last Christmas that you ever hear a quote from Ricky Bobby. You know, he's the, he's the fictional NASCAR character played by Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights. Here's what Ricky Bobby says. He says, when you say grace, you can say it to the grown-up Jesus or the teenage Jesus or the bearded Jesus or whatever you want. He says, I like the Christmas Jesus best. I think that describes a lot of people. They like the Christmas Jesus because he's just a baby. He's not very threatening. He doesn't put any demands on us. It's just this sweet baby boy lying in a manger. But here's the thing. The Christmas Jesus became the crucified Jesus, that Jesus came into this world to be your Savior. John would write his gospel at the end of his life. It was years after Jesus walked on this earth and died on a cross and rose from the dead. It would be years after the destruction of Jerusalem that John would take care of Mary for the rest of her life and heard the Christmas story perhaps hundreds of times. And John would summarize the Christmas story in one verse. It's the verse that you probably memorized as a kid, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, that's you and me, we are the whoever. And here's this word that he created. Believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. And maybe you're familiar with John 3.16, but maybe you're not familiar with the next verse, John 3.17. He says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is the Christmas story. That God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to point out all the mistakes that you've made and all the sins that you've committed. Jesus came into this world to save you. So the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Not do you believe that it happened, but do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus using that phrase that John would create? See, I think John would tell us, if you don't believe yet, keep seeking. If you aren't sure you believe, keep asking. Some of you walked in here today, and life just feels dark. There's just this depression that just hangs over us sometimes during this time of year. 
And all you have to do to get out of the darkness is to permit him in, to trust in Jesus. It really is that easy. Maybe you've been trying to find happiness. And the truth is you're just not happy. And it's been a long time since you've been happy. That happiness has eluded you for as long as you can remember. In January, I'm going to start a new series called More Than Happy. And we're going to walk through the book of the Bible that talks more about joy than any other book, the book of Philippians. Is that God has something deeper for you that can change your life. Your life will never make sense until you involve God in the process. If God feels distant from you right now, it may be because you are distant from God. But he wants you to know he is not far. He is as close as the air that you breathe. He is pressing against your soul right now. He is knocking on the door of your life and saying, I'm here. I'm with you. And I want to give you an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. In addition, we're having baptisms at the end of this service. We have a place right over here for you to be baptized. We've already had 31 people who've been baptized so far in our Christmas Eve services. That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed yourself to Jesus, baptism is your next step. Baptism is like the wedding ceremony for a believer, saying, I'm in. I'm going public with my faith. And here's what baptism represents. Baptism represents dying to your old self. All of your mistakes, all of your sins, all of your regrets, they're washed away. That your old life, you die to it. And then you rise to walk a brand new life. If you have a child who wants to be baptized, we have a baptism class for them, and we can tell you more about that. I was baptized on Christmas Eve about 40 years ago, something that I have never forgotten because there's something special about this night, about this day, and maybe some of you are at that place and you're ready. Well, here's what I want to do. I just want to ask you just to bow your heads wherever you are in this room. And I want to lead you. Some of you are feeling loneliness and brokenness. Maybe you're battling an illness. Or you just have extreme grief that you're dealing with. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Some of you have been trying to earn your way to God, and what you tell yourself is, if I can just get my life together, then I'll come, and I'll give my life to Jesus. Listen, you don't earn your way to salvation. You can't do anything to earn it. It is a free gift. See, this is what Christmas is, is that God came seeking after us. And some of you have never received that gift. You've never believed in Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And you're not saved by a prayer. You're saved by Jesus. But I want to give you a tangible first step. Maybe right now it's just for you just to say to God, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm accepting Jesus as my personal Savior. 
asking that you would forgive me of my sins and give me a brand new start. God, that's our prayer. So once again, to pledge our lives to Jesus, the one who came as a baby in a manger but grew up and he died on a cross for everyone in this room, for all of mankind. God, we don't want to replace the significance of this moment with a cheap imitation. We want our lives to be different, to be changed. God, we pray that this next year would be the year that we get closer to Jesus than we've ever been in our life. So we thank you for this gift that you've given. And we pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.